middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's up? Welcome to Keeper of the Games. We are the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast all about sports and sports topics in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. I'm Tommy Castor, back for another episode along with my co-host Weston Mills. And Weston, we got to start the show off with this before we even talk about anything else. On a scale from one to a billion, how excited are you that Chiefs football is back in less than 24 hours from now? Tommy, uh, the answer is a billion, but, but, but I was talking with my wife last night and this is the weirdest thing I've ever experienced as a sports fan. My, my chiefs fandom is above and beyond I- any of the other teams that I root for. I've that that's been the team that, as a little kid that I have just followed the most. And as a sports fan, it has all been about can the chiefs win a super bowl, like building up to that moment. And we did that. And yeah. it, I, I truly, I don't know if it's, I mean, it's probably a combination of everything, but you know, it's, it's with COVID, the short off season or long off short off season. Plus we've got other sports going on. This feels so weird. I don't know what to do as a chiefs fan and how I'm supposed to feel, you know, obviously you want to repeat, but it's just, like I said, I, I'm having a hard time even comprehending and, and articulating how I feel as a chiefs fan coming off a of super bowl. It's, I guess it's a great position to be in. It's kind of like climbing Mount Everest, right? You've climbed that mountain and then you're like, all right, I climbed it. What do I do now? You know, like we don't yeah. know, don't really know what to do with our hands. Although that's why the whole theme <laughs> of the off season for the Chiefs has been run it back, right? I mean, it's all about, right. let's do it again. Let's, you know, see how many of these bad boys that we can get. I do have to point out if you're watching this episode on YouTube, um, you know, if you are visually watching it, maybe on our Facebook page or our website, uh, you'll notice, I think you can kind of see from my camera, you'll notice both Weston and I are rocking the Chiefs Super Bowl uh, attire, the, the, the swag from the chiefs. Mine's backwards. Yours is not for whatever reason on my camera. Um, but we're both rocking our Super Bowl champion shirts, which feels really, really good to say that. And that's not, that's not something Weston that you and I planned ahead of time. Um, we just got that mind meld going on between co-hosts, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And up here in uh, Kansas City, it's it's Red Friday, which, you know, for those of you in Wichita that haven't got to experience a Red Friday in, in Kansas City every Friday before uh, Chiefs game, you know, it's Red Friday. You're supposed to wear red. The town, you know, the flags go up. It, the town kind of goes crazy for that. But obviously, as the first game is on a Thursday, they're hosting Red Friday on Wednesday. And the first one of the year the first red Friday that is of the year is always kind of a, a much bigger event than the other days. And they, the chiefs hand out uh, whatever commemorative flag it is this year. It's a super bowl champions flag. And then all the money that they make, I think it's $5 a flag um, goes to the Ronald McDonald house. So they did that today. People go crazy. I actually was out of the house. I think at six thirteen in the morning to get to McDonald's cause they go so fast. Um, Last year was the first year, and and for those listening, you probably can still get online and order flags from the Chiefs um, uh, team store. Uh, They do take quite, I think, a couple weeks if you go that route, but the ones at McDonald's go up so fast, so... Got out, got out up and early today to, to get a couple of flags for me and a few others. 
You know, the other thing that I think is really exciting about the fact that football is back is that it really didn't feel like football season outside until the last 48 hours or so. And the weather has gotten cold and, you know, at least I don't know about Kansas City, but at least down here it's raining quite a bit. I mean, it feels like fall. It feels like football weather for sure. And so we can sort of take off our summer hat, put on our fall hat, which means football season is officially here. We've got a lot to talk about with the Kansas City Chiefs. We alluded to it on last week's show that this episode was going to be chock full of uh, basically a Chiefs preview as we look forward to uh, not only just their week one matchup against the Houston Texans, but also just the season as a whole for Kansas City on a more comprehensive level than we have on other episodes. So that's what we're going to do in just a little while. We're also going to talk about previews for both KU and K-State football. They're back in action this weekend as well, kicking off their seasons, uh, both non-conference opponents. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Recap some of the high school prep football in the Wichita Metro and a lot more. It's all coming up on this episode of Keeper of the Games. I want to remind you to hit subscribe so whenever we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you'll get a notification. That's the best way to know when we have new episodes. You can listen to us and subscribe anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, uh, and many others. You can find us all right there. Uh, like I mentioned a couple moments ago, you can watch full episodes on our website, cogpod.weebly.com. You can also watch full episodes on YouTube and on Facebook just by searching for Keeper of the Games. And of course, you can follow us anytime on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod at K-O-G Pod. With that, Weston, you ready to dive in and talk some Chiefs football today? Absolutely. Let's do it. So it was just eight months ago, Weston, that the Chiefs completed a pretty incredible comeback. It was one of three big comebacks in the playoffs that propelled Kansas City to their Super Bowl championship. And just eight months ago is when they faced off against the Texans. They were down 24 nothing early on in the divisional round. It didn't look good. I remember being out with some friends of mine. Uh, we were enjoying some wings and some beer and watching the game. And literally my friend and I looked at each other when they were down 24, nothing. And, and, and he looked at me and he said, are you ready to go? Like, should we just go ahead and pack up and go home? And my response at the time was, I don't think so quite yet. I mean, I'm not optimistic, but if the Texans get up by one more score, then yeah, we can go ahead and pack it in. Obviously that didn't happen. The chiefs came back from behind uh, and won that game 51 at 31 in the divisional round against the Houston Texans. That's who the chiefs are facing off against on Thursday night at Arrowhead stadium. Uh, number one, I'm super pumped that football is back in that regard, but number two, I'm even more excited about the fact that the chiefs get to go and play uh, the, the Texans again after they, you know, got down big early, but then they were able to win big uh, to move on. Um, you know, that's just a, a huge thing for them in the AFC Championship game. And then obviously we know what happened from there. So uh, first things first, your overall opinions on what the Chiefs had to look forward to uh, against the Texans on Thursday night. Okay, so I'm, I'm actually going to back up and do my own first things first, because I want to give you a, a quick <laughs> flashback to Houston last year. Because I, So I was actually at that game, and I will say I think that was probably the second most emotional roller coaster game I've ever been at. I was at Arrowhead. Probably I had probably spent the most money I'd ever spent on Chiefs tickets. We it was fantastic seats. I just decided I was gonna, you know, gonna do it. And um obviously incredible game. Talk about the lowest of lows followed by the highest of highs. The emotions and in, in the atmosphere in Arrowhead was absolutely rocking. I think the only uh 
atmosphere that was maybe better was the 2014 Royals wildcard game. I was actually at Kauffman for that one as well. Uh, that 13 inning thriller that Salvi hit the walk off on. So uh, pretty incredible game, but you know, I, I think really going into the game on Thursday, um, you know, one of the, the most important things I think that we're going to look at is, you know, first of all, what does this secondary look like? And particularly mean being the key for the chiefs here is going to be slowing down to Sean Watson. With that being said, Houston has had some turnover. They lost DeAndre Hopkins because Bill O'Brien makes some incredible decisions that no one quite knows why. Um, But they still do have Will Fuller, who is a fantastic wide receiver, but can never stay healthy. But coming into week one, that's not an issue. So it's slowing down Will Fuller. And then from there, how does the secondary contain everybody else? Because I would certainly anticipate you know, Traverius Ward, the, the Chiefs don't do a lot of shadowing with their corners, so it's not going to be just Ward covering up Will Fuller, but it'll you'll see you'll see Traverius Ward on him a lot and then help over the top of Will Fuller quite a bit. And then the rest of the secondary kind of containing what's left. Um they brought in Brandon, the Texans brought in Brandon Cooks. He's questionable. It looks like he did actually practice a little bit more today, but still not quite sure if he's going to go. He kind of has some injury histories himself, so I wouldn't be surprised if the Texans are a little bit more cautious with him. Um, and then from there, they've got Kenny Stills, and they recently brought in Randall Cobb. Uh, so those are kind of the, the, two, the two guys you're going to look at to see what they can do. Uh, if the secondary does kind of sh- either shadow or put help over the top of Will Fuller constantly. And then the new addition in Houston that we didn't see last year uh, in the playoff game is David Johnson from Arizona, which was part of the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Uh, I mean, for those, I mean, most everyone knows that David Johnson, a, a fantastic running back in Arizona, just for whatever reason, whether he didn't fit in last year in Arizona or injuries or whatever, he just didn't have it last year. But if he returns to his, you know, 2018 form, then, you know, I think there's going to be, that'll be a, a major issue for the chiefs to shut down. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the skill players for the Texans. Obviously we all know how great of a quarterback Deshaun Watson is. He's probably, I'd put him top five, maybe top three uh, in the NFL, as far as the quarterback yeah. position is concerned right now. I mean, you know, obviously he, he just got a, a huge contract. You know, the Texans were able to reward him, you know, for his good play. And they see him as kind of the, the benchmark franchise quarterback for this Texan squad for a long time. The other skill players though, on, on offense for the Texans, Looks like it'd be a really, really solid, uh, really dynamic and dangerous offense in the year 2016. You know, you've got David Johnson, you've got Duke Johnson, you've got, you know, Brandon Cooks, Kenny Stills, Randall Cobb. Other than Will Fuller, it's a little bit of an older uh, offense for this Texans team. Um, I'm not downplaying it all that David Johnson has skills. You know, like you said, he saw a little bit of a decline the last couple of years in Arizona. I'm sure he's got a lot of motivation to try to turn things around this season. But then Randall Cobb is kind of a shell of his former self that, you know, we saw in Green Bay a few years ago. You know, Brandon Cooks was a great wide receiver for the Rams for a number of years. Um, I think he's got some motivation. So you, you've kind of got these guys coming in that probably are looking to resurrect their careers a little bit. I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm just saying that it's not an offense. Aside from Deshaun Watson, 
it's not an offense that I overwhelmingly am thinking, wow, you know, the Chiefs are going to have a lot on their hands. And, and I may, I might be proven wrong. Um, you know, but at the same time, it's not, um, it's not as dynamic or dangerous as I think when you look at their names, you're like, oh man, like I know these names, but they're, I, I would say that they've, Almost all of these guys have lost a step uh, from, you know, a couple of years ago to now. So it'll be interesting to see. I know you, you know, kind of started off by talking about the secondary for Kansas City on how, you know, it holds up. I'm even more interested in seeing what, you know, Chris Jones and Frank Clark can do against the offensive line for the Texans if they can get a lot of pressure, you know, on Deshaun Watson. Obviously, he's a mobile quarterback. He's going to move. He's going to run. But what can guys like Clark and, and Jones do against that offensive line for Houston? That's kind of the matchup I'm looking at, at least on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think another thing we want to look at, too, is really how the run defense holds up. I mean, everybody knows that was our weakness last year. Um, it will be I think it'll it'll be kind of hard to gauge what we think about it after this this week one, because, you know, if David Johnson goes off, I think there's a real possibility that David Johnson is the David Johnson of old. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it could be, well, he only went off this week because the Chiefs Steve run defense is still a little susceptible. But also that the big thing, and I, I think a lot of people don't always process this is I think game script and by what I, what I mean by that, meaning um, the play calling that is in effect come second, third, fourth quarter really dictates how we look at this run defense, because if the chiefs go up and they go up two touchdowns or, or even ju- are just scoring, you know, getting points on the board with every possession, well, that's going to put pr- the, the pressure on the Texans offense to keep up and therefore not necessarily run the ball. So often, you know, our offense can kind of help with that run defense because games, the game script for the Texans will then basically take David Johnson out of being effective because they just can't afford to, to, to be running the ball at that at a slow pace. Well, and I also will say when, you know, I, I go back to the offensive line, you know, for the Texans outside of Laramie Tunsil. There's really not a whole lot there on the offensive line for the Texans. You know, a couple of names that I noticed as I'm looking through the depth chart, you know, Zach Fulton is there for the Texans. He's a former chief, um, you know, Nick Martin at center. But really, Laramie Tunsil is the only guy that I think um, is is a high caliber you know, O-line player for this Texan squad. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of pressure. And I think that plays into the run defense as well a little bit. I think that you're going to have an opportunity to see the Chiefs stop their run at a little bit of a higher rate with this game than, you know, maybe, you know, we would have saw last year because I would say that the Texans offensive line outside of Tunsil is relatively suspect. One other thing about Houston, you know, and I'm kind of switching gears a little bit and, and going to the defense, you know, really the the Texans defense lives and dies by JJ Watt. It has forever, right? It has for the last number, you know, several years or so JJ Watts, probably the best defender in the NFL or, or maybe top three. Um, you know, what do you think as far as the, the, the weapons, we know all about the weapons that Kansas city has versus a, you know, player uh, like JJ Watt, who's going to be captaining that defense for Houston tomorrow night. Yeah. And again, I, I mean, it's kind of the same thing that I was talking about for the, the defense or how the, the, the Texans move the ball kind of the same for us. It's, it's, it'll be very game script dependent, right? Because the thing about having a, a one dominant defensive lineman is you can run plays away from him to make him 
essentially ineffective, right? I mean, you're going to throw, you're going to chip the running back on JJ Watt. You're, you know, you're going to put, you know, a, a double team him essentially pass block or run block. And then you're, you're often going to, to move plays just opposite of the way he's lined up. You know, if, if you're going to have Pat rolling, you're going to roll him probably away from JJ. Um, you know, you're going to do a lot of different things game script wise to kind of, uh, I guess combat what what he can bring to the table. You know, they've you kind of feel like the the Texans have lost a little bit of a step since they they lost Jadavian Clowney. So I guess I mean they spent pretty much all all last year without him. Um, so it's really needing to kind of pair something just a little bit more uh, for the Texans to really help JJ Watt out there. I do think I think the Chiefs are going to absolutely take the top off, and I think you're going to see big, big firework type offense right off the bat. And part of that too, I think there's so much um, continuity from last year's offense that the chiefs are already in a great position to not in, in a weird year without a normal off season to bring guys in. Now, with that being said, the one guy that I think we're all kind of, you know, what to watch for tomorrow night is Clyde Edwards Hilaire who didn't get the OTAs coming in with that being said, I think you will see maybe more of a, uh, a share of the, the carries or just duties because receptions obviously out of the backfield is a big part of the chiefs offense with, with uh, Darrell will or Darrell Williams. Um, and I think as the season goes on, it'll shift more towards Clyde Edwards Lair, but especially early. The Chiefs love Williams. They've always loved him. He battled injuries last year. He's been effective every time they've used him. So I think a lot of people are very, very focused on on, on Clyde Edwards Lair, as they should be. He's talented and he's gonna produce, but I think there's gonna be a bigger split um with that offense. So I don't know. I kind of, I kind of went all the way around. I think we, <laughs> to answer your question, you know, I think with the Chiefs continuity, I think there, there's gonna be able to to kind of attack that Texans defense pretty well. Um, and, and I do expect some big points and then kind of shifting from there, who, you know, what to watch for. I think obviously everybody wants to see a splashy start out of Clyde Edwards Hilaire, but you know, I do think Daryl Williams is, is going to have a big day as well tomorrow. You know, Weston, I'll tell you, like I, I when I watch football, you know, I, I watch it as a, as a casual fan. Um, you know, I, I can, I follow it. I obviously know what's going on, uh, but I don't really, I don't know much about schemes. I don't know much about, you know, game plans. I, you know, I know you played, you know, a lot about that and, you know, all these different, the ins and outs of uh, the intricate parts of, of football, you know, it's going to be really flashy. People are always going to watch uh, wide receivers and cornerbacks, right? They're going to see speedy right. guys like Tyreek Hill and McCall Hardman, you know, even Sammy Watkins to an extent against the secondary of the Texans. For me though, and I just find this really exciting to watch for tomorrow. I'm going to be keeping an eye if we're talking matchups with Travis Kelsey and Clyde Edwards Hilaire with the linebackers, you know, because I, you know, that's obviously that's just Travis Kelsey has been such an efficient piece of that chiefs offense. And he's just that he's that veteran presence there. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes has such a great rapport with Travis Kelsey. He's going to probably go to Kelsey early and often. Uh, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Texans 
recognize that pretty early on. They're going to probably try to start doubling Travis. And then I think you're going to start seeing opportunities for Clyde Edwards Hilaire to catch the ball out of the backfield. You know, when, you know, maybe the guys like Tyreek and, and Nicole are, are covered or double teamed or whatever. And Travis might be the same way. I think that's going to, you know, open up opportunities for CEH out of the backfield to catch the football. And I, I do agree with you. I think that early on, um, there's probably going to be a, a, a decent split between him and Daryl Williams. But I think that's what I'm most excited about with Clyde Edwards Hilaire is not necessarily him running the ball. I think that's great, but I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him catch the football out of the backfield. The Chiefs have not had that since Kareem Hunt. And so I think it's going to be really exciting to watch that matchup between guys like Travis Kelsey and Clyde Edwards Hilaire against the linebackers for the Texans. Yeah. And to your point, I, I actually think you're not going to see as much, um, Travis Kelsey being double teamed and, and it's exactly actually why you kind of what you were talking about. I think because the chiefs are, are moving into a position of having such a dynamic pass catching back. And then the important thing being having Tyreek Hill on the football field that really prevents Travis Kelsey from being doubled very often because you have to have help over the top with Tyreek Hill. I mean, I, Sometimes I think it, as much as recognition as Tyreek Hill gets, I almost think he doesn't get enough credit from from maybe the average fan for understanding what he does for an offense without even catching the football. And the th- the difference between him and, and I know a lot of times you talk about that wide receiver that can take the top off is the fact that he he can catch the football so well and run such good routes that he's not that guy that, that teams will say, you know what, we don't want to get beat over the top, but they're not going to connect on many of those. So we're, you know, there'll be important times where we, we roll someone over the top, but we'll take the chance that they catch, you know, complete 10% of those deep balls or 20% or whatever. Tyreek Hill will make you pay and make you pay often. And that just opens up so much for that offense and particularly like you said now you've added such a or at least you know people are expecting it him to be a dynamic uh, pass catching back out of the backfield I think what that that does is really ties up those linebackers and essentially is going to give Travis Kelsey so many one-on-one opportunities and I think teams are going to have to have to play one-on-one with Travis Kelsey because they're they're going to say what we'll, what we'll live with is 5, 10, 12, 15-yard receptions from Travis Kelsey as opposed to getting beat over the top by Tyreek Hill. Or, you know, you even think of like a 3- to 5-yard pass to that running back, but often they're in isolation on a side of a field where that ball is caught and they're turned up field and gone. So it, it is almost that same home run field or home run type pass play when, when you do a lot of isolating running backs with linebackers. So I think teams are going to say, let's just, I mean, it's not a great game plan, but let's let Travis Kelsey catch the ball and just try to hang on and make that off and stay on the field as long as possible. Um, and, you know, have to grind out a series as opposed to just giving up home runs and giving up home runs. I think that's going to be the strategy. And because of that, I think you'll see a huge, huge day out of Travis Kelsey tomorrow night. It's an abundance of riches for sure for Kansas city. We, you know, that's not a secret. Everybody knows that, you know, that the chiefs have so many weapons We've gone this entire time without talking about the best weapon of them all, and that's Patrick Mahomes under center for <laughs> Kansas City. We talked all about, you know, all these different matchups and the wide receivers and the running backs and, you know, even the defense for Kansas City. 
but you've got a guy like Patrick Mahomes under center. You know, I, I, this is, I think to put it in perspective, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. If you were creating a football team that had to take the field uh, after or in the middle of a pandemic, when everything has completely been turned upside down, um, you know, that there's just nothing is certain. Uh, you just don't exactly know what's all going to be going on. And you're trying to build a football team. You want to have, like you mentioned, that continuity. You want to have that experience. You want to have, you know, players on, on the team that have been there. They know what's going on. They know the system. They know the culture. You want to have a head coach that has a long tenure, that has a great rapport with his players. You know, you you just, you need that, you know, especially when you've got guys like Clyde Edwards Hilaire, you know, some of these other rookies that are coming in that haven't had the opportunity to get the reps like some of the other guys. So that's really what you're looking for. The Chiefs are perfectly set up, not just in normal times, but they're perfectly set up for how weird and crazy of a season this is probably going to be. Oh, and by the way, they also have the best player in the NFL at quarterback. You know, so when you're building that team, you you want all those different things. And then having a franchise quarterback that's, you know, the face of the, uh, you know, not only the face of the franchise, but a face of the NFL um, is just the cherry on top. And so um, I, I think everybody is is interested to see. What you know? What is Patrick Mahomes going to do now? You know he's wowed us for a couple seasons now. He was an MVP. He's got the Super Bowl ring. He's got the huge contract now. What is he going to do next? What do you think he does next? Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a record-breaking season. I, I mean, there's no why would there be any reason to think that he's not continuing to build what he's dead or what he's done in the past? And really, you know, last year was statistically a step back just because he missed games. Um, but there's not any reason to, to expect not just monster numbers from him this year. And the thing too, you know, I think, I think you're seeing a recognition of that and really the position Pat has put the chiefs in. I mean, even if you look at Vegas, the chiefs are a nine point favorite, which, you know, over a playoff team from last year, that's just huge, especially in a year where I, I, not-, not, to, not to interrupt you. I saw they're favored in 15 out of 16 games. You know, obviously those can change as yeah. the season goes on, but you know, I think it was ESPN favored in 15 out of the 16 games is, is unheard of. Yeah. And that, and that is absolutely because of Pat Patrick Mahomes. There's no doubt about it. You know, and uh, it really, if you look at even the, um, over the over under, I guess this is a quick side note. The over under for the total for night for tomorrow night is 54. 54. Smash that over. There is, yeah, I'm telling yeah. you guys, lock of the century. There is no chance that this game is under 54 coming off, off a, a short, short off season when you got the number one offense in football who's returning everybody pretty much, followed by defenses are not going to be, they're just not going to be in shape come week one or week two, I don't think, because, you know, OTAs, the the restriction on minicamp, those kind of things, as much as you trust professional athletes to be in shape, and I'm sure that they are to some degree, it's not the same as what the team puts you through. So you're going to have tired defenses. It's going to be points, points, points. Um, smash that over for tomorrow night if, if uh, anybody's willing to put some money down. I think I saw offensively for Kansas City, and I might have this wrong, but um, from I think from what I saw, there were only two players that are not returning to Kansas City that played 50% or more of the snaps last season on offense, and that's obviously Lauren Duvernay-Tardif 
and Cam Irving, you know, are the, are the only two guys, you know, they've got everybody else back that played significant time uh, offensively last season for the chiefs. Um, having that continuity, I think that's the big thing is, you know, they, they, they've got the, um, the familiarity with one another where when you look at the Texans, you know, David Johnson is brand new and they've got to try to figure out right. how are they going to utilize him versus, you know, Duke Johnson, who's been there, you know, for, a, for a little while, you know, what is, you know, what, what is an offense for, for Houston look like without Deandre Hopkins, you know, so they've got some question marks offensively where the, the chiefs do not, I would say, maybe you have a different opinion than I do. I would say really the only, I don't even want to say blemish, the only question mark about the Chiefs entering this season is what does their secondary look like? What's it going yeah. to be long term? You know, when you've got, you know, some holes in there, you know, the Chiefs have had to replace Kendall Fuller, um, you know, try to find ways to do that. Obviously, Rashad Breland is out for a couple of games. Um, would Where do you mark that as far as a concern level? You know, is that an actual concern or is that just a, I think they'll be okay, but it might not be as strong as last year? I mean, I think it's a concern. I mean, as far as, I mean, it's relative, right? I mean, the Chiefs having a concern is a lot better than, say, you know, the Dolphins or the Giants or the Jets having a concern. Um, But, I I mean, it's their number one concern. You know, but with that being said, you know, obviously Bashad Breland will be back eventually. You've got some young guys who you hope are going to take steps. Um, So it's a concern even more in the beginning of the year. But the thing about the secondary is – there, you can do things to help scheme those guys and put them in good positions. And Steve Spagnuolo did a fantastic job, I thought, last year. Obviously, the defense still was the the worry compared to you know the, what the offense was was doing. Um, but you know, overall, Steve Spagnuolo did a good job, and I think he'll do a lot of things. And you do have some good flexibility when you have guys you know, like Tyran Matthew, like Dan Sorensen that have been there and you feel comfortable maybe moving them around. And, and again, I'll use the word, you know, scheming them to help out guys like luxurious need. We're going to see Rashad Fenton, you know, early on. Um, obviously Hamilton will probably play, and, get some reps back there. That's right. And he's, and he, both Rashad Fenton and Antonio Hamilton have been in the system. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's not like, you know, while they haven't started or seen a lot of minutes, they've been around, they know what's going on. They're comfortable with the other guys. And I th- I think that's a huge advantage. Um, but I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that I think the secondary is going to be the number one concern, or maybe the better word is question mark, uh, really going into the first few weeks of the season. You know, I would say the uh, the only other I don't even want to say question mark, uh, but the only other thing to keep our eyes on, and it doesn't get talked about much at all. We haven't discussed it at all on this program. Is that Dustin Colquitt is gone? You know, and and he was Mister Chief. You know, for Kansas City, there's no concern in the kicking game at all. Harrison Butker is one of the premier kickers in the NFL, uh, but now the Chiefs turn over punting duties to undrafted Tommy Townsend uh, coming in uh, to punt for the Chiefs. You know, I think you get kind of spoiled when you have Dustin Colquitt. And obviously in those lean years for Kansas City, when he was out on the field punting all the time, there were many times I said, he's the, he's the best player the Chiefs have. You know, he's, yeah. he's at least trying to give them good field position. Um, you know, do you think that's a concern at all that the Chiefs don't have uh, the, the guy that has been punting forever for Kansas City there anymore? And now they're going with a, with an undrafted free agent. 
I mean, no, just in the sense that you certainly don't expect the Chiefs to be punting much. Um, not that it's, you know, obviously it's important when you need it to be able to flip the flip the field position. And certainly just, you know, we, we don't know what we're going to get yet out of Townsend. Um, but overall, you know, it's not, I don't think it's a huge concern just because the way this offense clicks and fires, you don't expect to be punting a lot or being deep and punting, right? I mean, this yeah. offense is usually moving the ball to some degree where you expect to hopefully be, you know, punting from shorter distances if you, if and when you are punting. You know, I think another thing that we haven't talked about, and I think this kind of speaks volumes to the anchors of this position, but the offensive line. And I think that I think a lot of people think that might be the biggest concern. Obviously, when your job is to protect that five hundred five hundred million dollar man, you know that's going to be an important position. Um, but I think just the stability and and the level high level of play we've seen out of Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, I think just kind of at least for me calms my nerves and and uh, makes me look at that unit not as much a concern as as something like the secondary or the run defense. Um, Even though, you know, you're really having a carousel in that interior offensive line that didn't really play that well last year. Um, Just because you're, you just feel like you've just anchored that unit with the two vets that have been so good. I don't, I don't feel like I'm as concerned about the offensive line, even though a lot of people I think maybe have it as their, kind of their number one question mark. Well, I'm not going to lie about it. It wasn't that long ago that I was done with Eric Fisher. I was ready to get him out of town. Um, I think I even tweeted about it during a couple different games. Not that long ago when I was like, hey, is the Eric Fisher experiment over yet? Can we move on? Can we do something different? But And I think that that's probably where some of that comes from, from people who are you know having concerns about the offensive line. Um, not realizing that you know Eric Fisher – played relatively steady throughout the Super Bowl run for Kansas City. And then Mitchell Schwartz was, you know, I think you used the word anchor. Definitely call him the anchor of that offensive line for sure. So yeah. while it's not the strongest unit uh, for this team, I'm if I'm ranking my concerns, I'm putting secondary, you know, above offensive line for sure. We're going to talk a little bit about some of our full season predict- predictions and projections in just a moment. Before we talk about the full season, let's wrap up our talk about week one with the Texans. So, Weston, I know you already gave your opinion on the over-under. I'd love to get a final score prediction from you for week one against the Texans. 56-38. I think wow. I'm serious. I think it's going to be big, big points. I already love this Chiefs offense, but I just really think with everything that's gone on on this offseason, I think offenses as a whole are going to put up points. And I really think, I really, really, really think there's going to be big points tomorrow. I mean, that's how confident I am in that over that I'm going to give you a, a, a 56 to 38 uh, countdown for tomorrow. Wow. Uh, that's a lot of points uh, for sure. It's not, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not unheard of considering that these two teams, you know, the final score last time was 51-31. I mean, that's not that far off from what uh, the first matchup was back in the playoffs. I'm going to go a little bit lower than that uh, for my prediction. I'm going to say Chiefs 45, Texans 24 uh, is my prediction. So I think the Chiefs win by three touchdowns. I think there's still going to be a lot of points put up on the board, uh, but I'm not going to go that far and say, what'd you say, (laughs) 56-38? Is that what you said? 56-38. We'll have to revisit these from a week-to-week basis and see how we actually do. But uh, I think we're both given the win for Kansas City, and we're both going with the over. So uh, no no argument there between the two of us. Let's quickly talk about the full season uh, predictions. Before we talk about specific 
specific predictions. One question that I have just overall about this Kansas City team, and I'll give you my opinion uh, after after I get yours, is is there such thing as having too high of expectations for this team. And I'll tell you why my question is what it is. It's because, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning of the program for so long, the chiefs were constantly working towards that super bowl. They were, they were trying to make it to the summit and they never really could. And every year, I, as a fan, would have these expectations. And in some years, they would be bigger than others. Uh, but I had these expectations about what the Chiefs were going to do. And then inevitably, they would never do it. You know, the, the regular season would fall apart. Or they get crushed in the playoffs by, you know, crazy losses or whatever. And I always felt bad about having such high expectations. Is it okay for Chiefs fans to have incredibly crazy high expectations, even if they don't actually come true, considering that we are coming off a Super Bowl win? Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, really, I think expectations are almost you, – you anticipate that they're going to grow year to year. And it's almost like kind of what I talked about in the beginning of the show. Like where does it go from winning the Super Bowl? And really when – I mean, it's one thing to to win and you've got some you know seasoned veteran that's leading your team and he's kind of – it's kind of the end of his career. Well, okay, you got to – maybe temper expectations with something like that, but this isn't the case. You know, it's a young team with potentially the best player at all of the NFL um, coming off a Super Bowl win. I think the expectations absolutely should be that. And potentially, I mean, uh, if you're looking at just from a win total perspective, I, I think there's, it's not unreasonable also to think that they're going to improve on their win total from last year. I mean, that's, I think that is reasonable and, and I'm sure what the Chiefs are expecting amongst themselves as well. So it's crazy to even think this and to even ask this question kind of sounds like blasphemy a little bit. Uh, from here on out, as long as you've got a guy like Patrick Mahomes quarterbacking the offense, is it Super Bowl or bust every year? I mean, and I say that obviously that's their goal. That's what they all want to do. But from a fan's perspective, let's say the Chiefs make it to the AFC championship game. Is that a disappointment? You know, or they make it to the Super Bowl and they lose. Is that a disappointing season? I can't believe that that's even the question that we're talking about uh, for this franchise, but I think it's fair. I mean, do you think that it's got to be a Super Bowl win from now on or the season is just a, a complete disappointment? Man, you know, I don't know. Um, it just kind of feels like. I just don't like the or bust thing because, but it is, that is going to be the expectation every single year when they, while they have Patrick Mahomes. But I mean, it, so I guess, I mean, it just depends on how you want to define bust. Like sometimes, you know, you feel like, oh boy, they just absolutely flopped. Can't believe this team didn't win the Super Bowl. Well, you know that even in the best of circumstances, the Chiefs win, you know, I mean, you look at a Brady model, you know, they win, what is it? He won six, right? I mean, that's really a, I mean, a best case scenario, or maybe you're shooting for a little bit more than that, but that's about the best expectation. And that was over, a, you know, 18 seasons in New England, or again, I don't have that in front of me, but I think that's about the number. Um, so really, you know, you don't say, oh, Brady was a bust because he didn't meet expectations, you know, on 50% of his seasons. But I do think that you're right when you say that that really is probably the new expectation in Kansas city. And I think it would take something like having a few seasons of missing the playoffs or maybe just barely making the playoffs and not doing anything before you kind of reevaluate what your expectations are. 
Um, but really any team that has been consistently competitive, I would say it's Super Bowl or bust because, you know, unless you're a franchise that's been starving like the Chiefs were, that that's the only goal. You know, that's the only thing you're shooting for is the Super Bowl. Um, with the exception, like like I kind of just mentioned, you know, you go on a big drought like the Browns, boy, just making the playoffs. That's yeah. that's what that would be great for them. But if you've been competitive, then I would say it's Super Bowl or bust per se. The other thing too to keep in mind is that this is a completely different scenario. I know you mentioned uh, the atmosphere at Arrowhead was not unlike the the Royals' wild card victory, and to kind of use that as a comparison. You know, the Royals made it to two World Series back to back. They won one of them. I think most people knew that that was a fleeting moment, right? There, It's not a dynasty that's going to last for 10 or 15 years. And pretty soon, sure enough, the Royals were back in rebuilding mode. And, and that continues to this day. This is different in Kansas City for the Chiefs. There has been a commitment to continuity, a commitment towards building a culture, a commitment to having a, you know, your franchise quarterback locked up for a long time and really having those expectations with that. So it's a, it's a kind of a different model for sure than what we saw a few years ago with the Royals. A couple of, of uh, predictions that I want to get from you before we move on and move away from Kansas City. Uh, and, and you can say yours and then I'll say mine. I want to know who's your pick for offensive MVP for the Chiefs for the season defensive MVP for the season. Let's even say rookie of the year uh, for the Chiefs. And then I want to get your final win-loss total, your prediction for the regular season for Kansas City. Okay, so uh, offensive MVP, I mean, we'll, can we just go ahead? Do you want to just take Patrick Mahomes off the board? Because yeah. I feel like that's the obvious answer Right is – is going to be Patrick Mahomes. Um, I actually think, I think it's going to be Travis Kelsey. I think he's going to have an absolute monster year this year. And really, I, I almost don't want to hash out everything I said before, but basically that is why I think with the addition of Clyde Edwards Hilaire and then Tyreek continuing to play, I think it's going to open up so much for Travis Kelsey this year. And I think teams are just going to say, we're going to accept that uh, to whatever degree, or just try to defend him. And I think it's going to create a monster year and, and really end up being that, that team MVP. Um, Well, actually here, I'll go ahead and flip it to you then before I I move on to the next one. Who's your offensive MVP? Yeah, so I'm going to go with the pick that a lot of people have been talking about ever since he was drafted, and that's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think he's going to have a breakout year. I'm not not quite ready to say he's going to have a breakout year like Christian McCaffrey had a breakout year, you know, because that was that was crazy. You know, his his rookie season and the way he broke onto the scene was just nuts. Um, So I'm I'm not going to put him quite at that level. But I do think that one area and nothing at all against Damian Williams, nothing against Daryl Williams, nothing against, um, you know, when they had LaShawn McCoy or Darwin Thompson, nothing against the running back core that the Chiefs had post Kareem Hunt. But they were looking for someone that at that caliber that fit a certain kind of uh, a certain kind of mold that Andy Reid likes in the offense and that Eric Bieniemy likes. And I think they got that with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I think that while there might be a, a, a timeshare early on, I think he's very quickly going to establish himself as the premier running back for this Kansas City team in a huge, huge change of pace, uh, as opposed to, you know, Pat and the wide receivers and Travis Kelsey, you know, blowing the top off of everything, every play. I think you're going to be able to see the Chiefs really be able to be a little bit more balanced. Um, and I, I really do think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be a guy that's going to have a huge breakout season for Kansas City. 
Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I love that take. I, and I think you're, I, I think you're right. Um, but I think people are going to have to really pay attention to what he's doing because I think the numbers might not be there just because I do think like we've talked about, I think Daryl Williams, you know, is going to get to play. Obviously the football is going to get spread around just because there's so many options on this offense. So I think, I think you could be absolutely right, but folks are really going to have to kind of look more than just the numbers. Cause I think Clyde Edwards flair's numbers might not be just, you know, popping off the page, but he will be doing so much for the offense, just like like you said. Um, so I guess moving over to the other side of the ball, we talked about defensive MVP. Uh, you know, there's not a whole lot that needs to be said about this, I guess, but I think it's going to be Frank Clark. I, I think, you know, and I was one that was fairly outspoken last year um, about his really ineffectiveness early in the season. Um, you know, he was on and off of hurt, I guess, learning a new system, um, you know, didn't really get things turned on until the playoffs, but boy, did he show up at the end of the season in the playoffs. He just turned it on. And I really think with that, with really him being comfortable in the defense, plus the addition, and I guess not addition, but the fact that they've kept Chris Jones, I think those two are going to put up mega, mega numbers. And I thought, I think teams are still going to focus on Chris Jones, kind of freeing up Frank Clark to really take advantage of some one-on-ones. And I I think he's going to be just incredibly disruptive this year. Um, And especially with as good as I think the Chiefs offense is going to be, meaning opposing teams' offenses are going to have to throw the ball, just opening up even more opportunity for Frank Clark to get to the pass rusher and, and put up big sack numbers this year. I like that take. Uh, I think Frank Clark is going to have a big year as well, but he's not my pick for defensive MVP. Um, basically, the bottom line, Weston, is that the landlord called and your your rent is due and he's coming to collect your rent. I'm going to Ron Matthew as defensive MVP for Kansas City. Um, you know, that not only has the community embraced him and not only has he embraced Kansas City, but on top of that, he is undoubtedly and unquestionably the leader of the secondary. And it's a, it's a, it's a core. It's a unit that we have discussed at length about our concerns. I think he realizes the fact that he's going to have to pretty much captain that secondary. And even though he's not a cornerback, um, you know, I think that he realizes that the the best way for the chiefs to limit the amount of points that the other team puts on the board is for him to play uh, out of his mind and for him to influence the other players in the secondary. So I'm going with Teron Matthew. Love the guy. I think he's really come on. I, you know, I was uh, skeptical about him, kind of like how you were with Frank Clark. I was skeptical about him coming in. He didn't have the best reputation in the world, kind of like Frank Clark, uh, but he has really won me over with his personality, uh, the the kind of guy he is, the kind of player that he is. Um, I'm definitely going with Teron Matthew for defensive MVP. You know, and I think the thing I I think the thing that both of our players share, uh, you know, really is is their their effect on the secondary that everyone thinks is a question mark, right? If Frank Clark is disrupting the team's offense, you know, by getting to the quarterback, hitting him, getting him out of rhythm, actually getting sacks, that's going to obviously help the secondary. Or not even not even hitting the quarterback, just being there, making that quarterback throw the ball quicker, just a lot less time for the secondary to have to cover wide receivers. And then on the flip side, you know, as your pick, obviously we don't need to say him just 
covering or whatever zone or man he is covering. He does a fantastic job in being there, but the presence he brings to some of this young secondary, or maybe I should say inexperienced secondary is going to be invaluable. So I I love that pick as well. And and it's a perfect segue too, because as we talk about um, rookie of the year for the chiefs, the obvious pick being Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I actually think that if you're just talking about, I guess it depends on what you say, right? Is it rookie of the year, most valuable rookie? I'm going to kind of shift and say most valuable rookie because I think the Chiefs have shown they can be effective with a lot of different running backs. Not to say that I, we've already talked at ad nauseum about how much I love Clyde Edwards Lair, uh, but I think the Chiefs' most valuable rookie is going to be Legereus Sneed. I think he's going to be a fantastic addition to that secondary. I do think you're going to maybe see a slow start. I mean, cornerback is already a tough position, plus he played a little bit of safety at Louisiana Tech and is actually kind of shifting back to corner. He played corner, played safety, shifting back to corner. It's already a transition to learn that in the the NFL, but I think he's going to be a fantastic addition. And especially, I think even as... Um, you see Bashad Breeland come back. I think Lajarius Sneed will either stick at one of the cornerback positions, or you might see him slide over and play, um, be that kind of that every down nickel corner that's going to be on the field. You know, eighty five percent of the time they're going to be in the nickel. So even if he's not, you know, starting at one of the outside corner positions, you're going to see him a ton, and I think he's going to be a huge addition to this this. Uh, defense. You know, I, I think you're right in the fact that out of necessity, Legereus need is going to be pushed into duty. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not necessarily sure that I would call him most valuable. And, you know, I know it's kind of wrong of me to pick a rookie to be my offensive MVP, but not my rookie of the year. Uh, you know, obviously we all know the impact that Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to have, but I'm going to go somebody different and that's Willie Gay Jr. You know, Willie yeah. Gay Jr. Uh, I'm going to make a bold, a bold statement here, and you might disagree with this. We haven't even seen Willie Gay Jr. play a game yet. He might be the best linebacker the Chiefs have uh, on the roster right now, and he hasn't played a game. If he's not the best, he's definitely up there. And this is a stat that I think is really interesting. So in 2019, uh, I didn't know this, the Chiefs allowed the third most receptions and second most yardage to running backs in the passing game. That's huge uh, you know, defensively for Kansas City. That's definitely been a weak spot uh, for the Chiefs. This guy, Willie Gay Jr., is a linebacker that runs a faster 40-yard dash than a lot of cornerbacks that are in the league right now. He's quick. I think we've talked a lot about the secondary. We've talked a lot about coverage issues that the, that the Chiefs might have. I think the fact that they can plug in a guy like Willie Gay Jr. right away, uh, I think is definitely going to help shore up that defense. So I'm really excited to watch him. I think Legereus Sneed is going to be a, a great impact player too, but I'm giving the nod to Willie Gay Jr. Yeah, I do. I do like that pick, though, as well. I mean, the thing that he will provide to the Chiefs is with that athleticism that he has, you can stick him out there. You can don't have to you can don't have to worry about him being isolated on a running back. He's big enough and fast enough to guard whatever combination tight end you have, whether you have an overly big tight end. He's got the size. If you got a fast you know, athletic tight end, he can stick with them there. And the fact that you have a linebacker that can kind of move around the field like that and um you know, you feel comfortable in isolation just allows you to be, you know, give so much more help to your outside corners or your safety or your slot, whatever. It gives you a lot of uh, confidence and and ability to scheme around that when you have a linebacker of his caliber. So, you know, I hope he picks up the coverages quick. I think that's really the only concern. How fast does he pick up the defense? 
from a football standpoint, I think the guy's going to be outstanding. It's just kind of a matter of when it clicks for him. It's pretty awesome to know that not only do the Chiefs have this really strong continuity core, but then they've added you know several rookies that can come in and make an immediate impact. So really excited to watch them uh, as the season goes on. Last but not least, before we move on, we've talked Chiefs football this entire show so far. Um, yeah. let, let's talk about your prediction for win totals for the Chiefs, and then let's even you know. Let's talk about how far we think they're going to go. So uh, what say you on that? Yeah. So I, you know, I would think 14 and two, I think is, is where you're, we're looking at with the chiefs. Um, you know, I, like you mentioned, they're, they're favored in 15 and 16 of the games. You know, I think there'll be a couple slips, slip ups. I mean, they have the bills, uh, the Patriots just aren't what they, you know, what they were. Um, you kind of, I mean, I just can't, um, I mean, you, you wouldn't predict the Chiefs losing any AFC West games just based on really where their opponents are at in kind of the rebuild process. But at the same time, my God, they have just been running the AFC West law of averages says they're going to lose a game eventually. Right. I mean, so you maybe expect a, uh, you know, a loss within the division and they've got the saints, they've got the bills, a couple of tough teams. You know, I think maybe one of those, but I really think 14 and two is what is what you're looking at here. As far as how far they go, are you are you calling another Super Bowl win for Kansas City? I, you know, I just I don't know how you couldn't predict another Super Bowl. I mean, I I think it's not even the Chiefs fan in me. I think they're either the favorite for most of the talking heads, or you know, a very popular choice for most of the talking heads. You know, I think another Super Bowl is is really is what I'm expecting out of this team, or, or certainly at least a another return. You know, I'm going to say 13 and three is my prediction for uh, the, the final record for Kansas City. Just taking a look at their schedule, you know, you've got really tough matchups on the road against Baltimore. They're on the road against Buffalo. Um, they're on the road against Tampa Bay, which who knows, you know, what Tampa Bay is going to look like, but they're on the road there. They're also on the road against New Orleans. You know, those are, are four, you know, tough games, uh, two against AFC opponents, two against NFC opponents. Uh, and then you got to think that there might be a chance where they, they maybe drop an AFC West road game potentially. I don't think that's yeah. going to happen, but you never know. So that you know, I would say that's five, maybe toss up games. Uh, and I think it's realistic to say the Chiefs maybe drop three of those really tough games. So I'm going to say 13 and three, but I think 14 and two uh, could very well happen uh, in in the realm of possibility. And then I, I agree with you. How can you not uh, you know predict? the defending champs who have just completely reloaded and not only that, but they've added weapons as well to not repeat. I mean, football is a funny game and it's a weird season. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I, I like their chances for sure. The only thing I'll, I'll add to that is, you know, I think the chiefs, I don't know, luck is not the right word here, but in a season in which they did have a fairly tough road schedule, I think, I think, being a road game almost has a non-existing factor to me. I mean, I really just don't see what advantage other than the team having to travel. You know, there's a lot of, you talk to the big gambling guys, you know, you're an East, an East coast team traveling West and, and mixing the time zones, Kansas city's, you know, central standard that doesn't have a huge effect. Yeah. Um, you're just not getting other than the travel, a huge benefit to being the home team. With that being said, We've, I don't know if any, if, if we, we, I don't think we've talked about this, but the NFL is allowing teams to do 70 decibels of noise that has to be started at the beginning of the game and can't be um, turned down or manipulated in any way till the end of the game. And then obviously, I think most NFL 
teams or stadiums are allowing some fans in. So how loud can 16,000 Chiefs fans be? I I just don't even think – let's just say the Chiefs fans being as rowdy as they are can be – 10 decibels louder than the the next loudest group. I don't think whatever that number is, is it going to be enough to add to the pumped in crowd noise to have much effect? I think offenses in, in really it's constant. So both your offense and the other team's offense is going to hear that same noise minus the little bit that the 16,000 can do. I don't think there's going to be a much of advantage for uh, much of a home field advantage this year. Yeah. I don't, I think it neuters, you know, the home team for sure a little bit. So that'll be interesting to see now, you know, next week on the program, we'll definitely break down week one, uh, the matchup against the Texans. But I would also recommend that if you're listening to this, and you like the Chiefs and you want to follow them, uh, you should follow both the Wesson and I on Twitter because I don't know about you, but I tend to always live tweet games um, and try oh, yeah. to try to make it as funny as I can. So uh, you can follow Weston at WMills94 and you can follow me at Tweets from Tommy. And of course, I'll have a full breakdown of week one on next week's program. All right, let's transition very quickly. I know that we're gonna we're probably gonna go past our time limit today, but there was just a lot to talk about uh, with the Chiefs. We're gonna transition into college football now. Both KU and K State they take the field uh, for their first games this weekend as well. Not just the NFL, but also uh, the Big Twelve in action. Uh, you know, really, we're not gonna do a huge comprehensive breakdown of the Jayhawks or the Wildcats. Uh, just mainly because there are there's a lot of unknowns. I mean, it wasn't until just like a couple of weeks ago that we really even knew that these teams were going to be playing. And then, you know, from that point on, there have been a couple of Big 12 teams that are not even playing this weekend, like Baylor and TCU because of COVID tests. It does look like as of right now, as of this recording, both the KU and K-State games will go on as scheduled for Saturday, although there were reports of a COVID outbreak at the University of Kansas, but it does look like that only three Three of those uh, patients or those people afflicted with COVID-19 are actually football players. So as of now, it doesn't look like the game will be impacted uh, when they play Coastal Carolina on Saturday night. Um, your your overall thoughts, we'll start with KU, overall thoughts on the Jayhawks and their first matchup against Coastal Carolina on Saturday. Yeah, obviously a disappointing loss last year to Coastal Carolina, a team that they probably should have should have beat. Um, you know, they're favored by seven uh, going into this game, which you know that feels pretty good for Kansas. Uh, you know, with considering that they lost last year, I think the thing to watch and I'll be curious. Les Miles has been pretty hush hush about who's going to start at quarterback, whether it's going to be Thomas McVitie or uh, uh, Junior Miles Kendrick. I think it'll probably be Thomas McVitie. I think Miles Kendrick may be the probably better choice, but it's probably, it seems like probably one of those things that it's close enough that I think Les Miles is going to, you know, give the nod to the senior and the guy that he brought in kind of as his guy, um, you know, back from his LSU days where he was kind of recruiting McVitie and McVitie's had a weird path to getting to Kansas, but um, I think McVitie ends up being the guy and and you certainly for Kansas, I think this needs to be a, 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 building game for them. You know, I, I would love to see them come out and not just win, but win, you know, handedly. And that's not necessarily a blowout, but just take care of business and make this a game feel like KU's the big 12 opponent and they're bringing in, you know, a, a non power five and beating up on them. That's, that's what they, that's what it would be nice for Kansas to do. But I think it'll be a fun game to watch overall. If you talk to, I would say probably 95% of Jayhawk football fans, they would tell you, and I'm right there with them, that one of the most important things that 
they would like to see with this football program moving forward would be for Les Miles and Brent Deerman to find a, a starting quarterback and stick with them, be the quarterback for this season for the Jayhawks, let that person get comfortable under center and lead the team. And so, you know, whether that's McVitie or Kendrick, I think it's important. And I don't know if this will happen. I mean, it does look like there are reports that potentially Les Miles is cool with having another two quarterback system, but I don't think that that's super effective. I love the idea of just getting one of these guys comfortable in the system and just letting them captain the offense for KU. The other thing that I think is going to be different from last year to this year, I've gone on record saying that last last year's game against Coastal Carolina was the worst football game I've ever watched in, you know, in person in my life. But what's different <laughs> is that the Jayhawks have a different offensive coordinator this time in Brent Deerman, who is the future of this program, in my opinion. Uh, you know, he's gotten comfortable. Uh, you know, it does look like Les Miles went on record saying that he was going to let Deerman call the plays. So hopefully, you know, he's kind of an explosive guy, um, you know, and so I, I like the opportunity for Kansas to put up a lot of points in this game, or at least a lot more than they did last season against this team, which was only seven. So I like that opportunity for them. I think that the Jayhawks have a bad taste in their mouth about what happened last year. Uh, and so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kansas get a big win uh, this weekend. The one thing that is kind of, uh, you know, the unknown, the X factor is that we don't know who Coastal Carolina's starting quarterback is going to be either. Uh, you know, they have not revealed that and they're not going to uh, until game time. So a little bit of gamesmanship there from uh, the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina. But I do think KU ultimately ends up with the victory um, and it might be one of the only victories that we talk about this season for KU. Also, Kansas State. Uh, so I guess before we move on to Kansas State, KU, as of right now, is scheduled to play on FS1, nationally televised game at 9 p.m. Um, and, you know, I know you said you were going to stay up late and watch it on Saturday night. Uh, I think I probably will, too. You know, it's, nice. it's, it's football. It's back. Uh, and I'll definitely watch that. But then a change in the schedule for the Wildcats. They were scheduled to play in the afternoon. Now they're going to be playing at 11 a.m. on Fox because of the COVID outbreak with Baylor. It was the Baylor-Louisiana Tech game that is now scrapped. So instead, it'll be K-State and Arkansas State happening at uh, 11 a.m., on Fox. Uh, that's going to be a, a big test for the Wildcats, not necessarily with the opponent, but just kicking off the season on national TV like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, maybe some of our listeners will think I, I'm a Jayhawk Homer, which I am, but we, you know, we, Tommy, we try to do our best at, at being unbiased um, when it comes to, the, you know, the K State coverage or, or anything else. But I am. I just don't think this game is going to be exciting. Um, there's not a lot of storylines from K-State. I think they're going to win handily. They're 10 and a half point favorite Arkansas state. Just there's, I mean, there's nothing there that excites me about this storyline. Um, you know, obviously K-State's returning their starting quarterback in, in Skylar Thompson, who you're expecting obviously big, big numbers out of, um, you know, they've got a senior running back in Harry Trotter on the depth chart. I think one thing that, you know, I saw the other day, it looks like maybe number two on the depth chart at running back is this uh, Deuce Vaughn, who uh, may remind some Wildcat fans of a young Darren Sproles. This guy is five foot five out of Round Rock, Texas. So, you know, I think it'll be maybe interesting to, to see maybe some of these younger guys, I think is probably what you're looking for maybe out of this Kansas State game as as K-State hopefully runs away with this like they should. Um, you know, they've got some young quarterbacks. I think that the, there's this uh, quarterback out of Pennsylvania, 
Um, and I am drawing a blank on his name. Um, Will Howard, uh, who's a freshman quarterback from Pennsylvania who has moved up to the number two spot on the depth chart. You know, if Kansas State kind of gets ahead in the second half, you might be able to watch and kind of see what to expect out of the future there. Um, th- but that's really the only storylines that are popping to my head out of this game as K-State should hopefully win handily. One advantage that Kansas State has a little bit is that they've got a week of film to watch on Arkansas State. They Arkansas State is already 0-1. They played last weekend against Memphis. I actually watched part of that game uh, over the weekend. It was just on ESPN and there wasn't a whole lot of other football on. Uh, and Arkansas State actually showed a little bit of promise. They were ahead 14-7 to uh, in the first quarter before Memphis pulled away, ended up winning that game 37-24. So the Wildcats have some film to watch on this team. I'm sure that uh, Coach Kleiman will have them prepared. Uh, but Arkansas State does have some talent. The one other storyline to keep our eyes on, I just mentioned a few minutes ago about how it looks like there are three players with KU that uh, have COVID or tested positive for COVID, uh, but there have been some issues with the Wildcats as far as COVID-19 outbreaks in the past and just injuries as well. Uh, you know, Coach Kleiman said uh, on Monday that the Wildcats are entering their game without anywhere close to the number of guys we started camp with. So there could be some guys at several positions for the Wildcats that they're missing. And it sounds like, uh, according to some sources, that wide receiver and offensive line have actually been hit the hardest. Uh, so we'll have to keep our eyes on that. That is one storyline, I would say, to keep our eyes open for. But considering that the Wildcats are a 10.5-point favorite going into Saturday at home at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, Stadium and that they can have some fans there in the uh, in the stadium. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that Kansas State wins that game. We'll have recaps on both KU and K-State on next week's episode as well as, like we mentioned before, a recap on week one for the Chiefs. Let's very quickly, we're running out of time here, but let's very quickly get into our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games and talk a little bit about week one in the Wichita high school prep basketball scene, or I'm sorry, football scene, uh, basketball well, it's not quite yet, uh, but definitely some big wins in week one for some teams around the Wichita area, like Garden Plain taking down Conway Springs 14-13, which is, was a big nail-biter game. Garden Plain able to get the victory there uh, by one against Conway Springs. Goddard beat Bueller. That's a big win for the Lions. Uh, Mays beat Andover 20-6 to to open up the 2020 season. Joshua Sanders had three scores there uh, for Mays to win that game against Andover. And then, you know, I think you got to look at the, uh, the the parochial schools in Wichita. Bishop Carroll wins a thriller in their opening game against Junction City. They got that win 29-28. to 28. And then Cape and Mount Carroll, uh, you know, also with the win uh, in their opening game as well. So any takeaways for you in the first week of prep football for the Wichita area? I think my biggest takeaway is that hey, they're playing they're playing football and, and it seemed to be, you know, it seems like things went smoothly week one and I, I think that's you know my maybe the boring answer, but my biggest takeaway from, from week one. Yeah, so Capen actually beat Dodge City 42-0 to on the road, it looked like, against Dodge City. So definitely a big win there uh, for Capen. And then it, it looks like we have not heard any updates to the contrary, but it looks like uh, this weekend we'll actually see City League schools back in action around Wichita. In fact, uh, some of the matchups pulling them up here around uh, the Wichita area for this weekend. Um, you know, Capen oh. is going to play Bishop Carroll. Uh, that's happening on Friday night. Did you have something else? 
Yeah, Tommy, I, I don't know. Maybe I missed you saying this, but we missed uh, Derby playing yeah. Mill Valley uh, up here. Lost 45 to 14. Mill Valley is, I mean, it's an, they're an absolute power up here. So, uh, But I don't think Derby expected to, to get throttled like that. That was uh, probably a disappointing uh, opener for the Panthers. Yeah, no, and that's a huge story, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that at all. So, uh, no, definitely, that's a big, that's a big loss for the Panthers there. Um, and I, you know, I, I obviously you are in the Kansas City area. I was unfamiliar with how good of a, uh, a team Mill Valley is. Yeah, Mill Valley is. It's kind of a, uh, I may botch this, but kind of Lenexa, Desoto, Shawnee Mission. I'm not exactly sure the lines of that school district, but it's turned into a to a real high end program. And they, boy, they throttled Derby there. Yeah, so I may have mis, uh, misspoke about the City League getting back into action. It does look like there are some games scheduled that I'm looking at Catch at Kansas right now for the schedule. Uh, Wichita East and Wichita North, they're scheduled for uh, the 14th, uh, which I guess is this weekend coming up. Heights is playing West uh, this weekend as well. Um, you know, so there are some, there are several of these games that are scheduled right now for the City League. Uh, no word about whether or not these games will actually take place. So east and north, heights and west. Uh, then you've also got north playing south. Uh, that's on the 19th of September. So, uh, of course, as we get updates in as far as uh, the, the results of these games, we'll make sure to pass that along for you. But, uh, yeah, as we get further along in the season, I kind of feel like I didn't. I, and I'll be totally honest. I didn't do the prep I needed to do as far as. Um, you know, high school football scores for week one. Uh, so we'll try to do a better job at that as we get going. I just kind of feel like now we can finally get excited about football. Like last weekend, I wasn't. Now I am. So I feel like we can actually, yeah. actually follow that for not only the pros and the college, but also high school. All of it just snuck up on us so fast. I mean, there's just so much going on. All the sports trying to go at once. Obviously, we've got a hundred other things to worry about. It feels like football just went from zero to a hundred you know, just like that. And, and here we are. And it's, it's finally time to, to settle in and start uh, getting back to our normal football scheduling. Yeah, absolutely. So that's our really uh, terribly unprepared Wichita whip around uh, for this episode of Keeper of the Games. Hey, I'm the one that, you know, always says each week that we're wildly underqualified. So clearly we are underqualified when we're talking about prep football. We'll get better at that as the season goes on for sure. That's our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Tommy- Games. Oh, Tommy, that just means that just means we're living up to our expectations. If we're setting the expectations at wildly uh, underqualified, boom, ex- expectations met. There you go. Yeah. I, hey, you're a glass half full kind of guy, I suppose. That's right. We're going to wrap right. up the show. We are out of time. But uh, before we wrap up the show, our finally funny, very briefly, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it because I don't really think it's going to go anywhere. And I just kind of find it funny is that the ACC and Coach K is spearheading this for college basketball, for March Madness to be held with every single Division One team being able to play in the NCAA tournament. Is that a good idea for this coming season? Uh, no, it's not a good idea, but I think it's hilarious imagining filling out a bracket with 352 teams or whatever it is. Um, I heard or I read that a theory behind this is that it will. It's tr- they're trying to incentivize the smaller schools to not cancel their college basketball season by saying, hey, just play and you're in. Uh, but I don't know. It's a hilarious thought to me. I, 
if it was if it wasn't for Coach K and Jim Beheim, I would say this is for sure. De- no way this is happening. Um, but I still just don't think this is going to work. Yeah, you know it's kind of funny because like we could have a serious discussion about this, but in my mind, it's so ridiculous that it absolutely <laughs> is the finally funny. And I, I actually that's right. I tweeted this earlier today, so you'll have to go to my Twitter and check it out. I don't know if you you might be too young to remember this because you know I am obviously quite a bit older than you are. I'm a lot I, younger, yeah, right, yeah, a ton <laughs> younger than I am. Uh, but this was about a decade ago, and uh, there was a video put out by the Onion back when the Onion was like the big mm-hmm. you know parody news you know network, and it was a video from the Onion Sports Network about how uh, the NCAA tournament was going to be expanding to four thousand ninety six teams, and they did this <laughs> this whole video breakdown of you know they had it looked like sports center and analysts talking about you know all the different schools like you know john's truck driving school now got into the tournament and you know so it's basically life imitating art uh but i don't think this has any kind of legs whatsoever to actually happen yeah i just i mean i don't know it's been such a weird weird year tommy that boy if it was ever to happen now would be the time but i don't know it just it just seems hilarious to me Absolutely. That's our finally funny. And hopefully, in my opinion, it doesn't come to fruition. It's ridiculous enough that we can laugh about it here on Keeper of the Games. We ran a little bit over our normal time here on this show. Thanks for hanging with us as we broke down what to expect with the Kansas City Chiefs as they get into action on Thursday night at Arrowhead. Um, you know, I, I know I asked you from a scale of one to a billion how excited you were. Uh, I'm probably a billion and one excited for uh, this game. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Are, what are you doing? for the game are you staying at home you going out what are you going to do yeah i think i i think i am going to stay home uh, at least this one and, and mostly it's just because again it snuck up on us but i i actually talked to my wife about uh, what we're thinking about doing is maybe hosting tailgates at our house set out my set up my 10 by 10 canopy in the backyard i got a couple tvs that can move outside real easily and still get you know access to everything and just kind of tailgating in our backyard um you know since we can't be at arrowhead or i mean i know we can, but it's pretty limited in, in cost or just through the roof, but uh, nothing special tomorrow night, but th- that is in the works for uh, the Mills household. Well, I'll be uh, looking forward to my invitation coming in the mail for <laughs> Those tailgates right. for sure. I'll drive up to Kansas City. No big deal. That should be a lot of fun. We're just going to stay at home as well. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, of Buffalo Wings for football games. Love them. Ooh, yeah. uh, and yep. uh, and since I'm not going to go out and I don't really want to order in, uh, I've got a recipe to make crispy wings in the air fryer. So I'm going to try oh, that tomorrow night with a variety of sauces. That's uh that's the goal for tomorrow's Chiefs game. And like we mentioned before, nice. we'll have a a recap of Week One. Hopefully, we're going to be talking about a Chiefs victory for sure. Uh, on next week's episode. So it should be a lot of fun. Don't forget to subscribe before we forget, before we leave. want to remind you that that way you get a notification. Anytime we have a brand new episode, you can find us on platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Of course, you can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod, at KOGPod. That Twitter account and our personal Twitter accounts are going to be really, really, really busy for the game. So make sure to follow us there uh, for not just this game but the entire season long remind folks of your twitter handle at wmills94 and you can follow me anytime at tweets from tommy so until next time for weston mills i'm tommy caster you've been listening to keeper of the games take care guys 
You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. <laughs>